0: The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14.
1: Good morning, everyone. Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's a light to our feet. It's a light to our path. Open our eyes, Lord, this morning, that we may behold wondrous things in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, before we started our Advent series, we were in John's Gospel, and I only got one sermon in First John, uh, with one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. So, I thought I'd cir- circle back around to John chapter 1 as we think about the light, uh, Christ the light. So, this Advent season, we're thinking about Christ as the light of the world. And in this uh, Passage John brings us to a fundamental article of the Christian faith. One of the things that um, it's easy for us to believe in our cultural moment, especially now as gathering behind closed doors, we confess our faith. It's interesting how it takes on a new significance when you're not really supposed to be doing it when you read the Apostles' Creed together, when you sing the faith, when you hear God's Word read, you might be uh, tempted to think that we're the only people who have a faith function in life. A friend of mine uh, wrote to me this week in England, and um, she's a very prominent Christian in the UK, and she told me that she'd just been asked to do a debate at the University of Oxford And the subject matter, it's a a very prestigious uh, event, it's an annual event. Uh, The the question she is being asked to debate is whether we have outgrown religion as a Western society or whether we are still guided by foundational beliefs. And she was asking my help to prepare for this debate. I've feel like just sending her one of my books and telling her to get the work done herself, but um, I'm going to help her. Anyway, the the question, are we still guided by foundational beliefs or have we outgrown religion, uh, is really a question that answers itself. Everyone is guided by foundational beliefs. Every adult is guided by one foundational belief or another, one foundational perspective or another. Everybody believes something, whether they're in church this morning or not, most aren't, about origins and beginnings, about the explanation of all things. So faith is not something people may or may not have at Christmas. We're all led by a faith, whether we're self-conscious about it or not. Human existence is inescapably a religious existence. It's inescapably a religious existence. What resides at the core of our being, our faith, of who we are, that is the faith of our hearts guides our life and it gives your life a certain direction. And this Christmas perhaps we'll be more conscious than ever before about the direction giving nature of our faith. We have an opportunity to reflect on that a little bit this morning, this foundation of our faith, the appearing of the light in world history. Because this is what gives direction to our lives so let's think about this issue of light for a moment the first thing the very first thing that God says in the Bible is let there be light the very first thing he says and John I think is concerned to draw a deliberate parallel in this gospel, at the very beginning of his gospel, to the book of Genesis, he conveys to us that the living word is the true foundation of life and light, that is of all truth and knowledge. He creates all things. He sustains all things. He holds it all together. And this very expression that he uses, in the beginning, denotes not just the origin of history, but the root of the universe. That is the thing that continuously sustains its life, not just about what happened back then, but the root of all things. If you've got no roots, you've got no life. Christ is the root of our life. The babe in the manger, the word become flesh, is the founder and root of all things, we're so familiar with that that it almost sounds boring. But it is a total marvel. It's a miracle. It's something we need to reflect on again this Christmas with some diligence. There's a connection you see in the in the scriptures between the word and the light. The word is also our light. The word who's become flesh is also our light. All knowledge understanding and wisdom to guide our way is found in Christ. So John says, in him was light. He's saying, effectively, he's the son by which everything else is illuminated. When God sent his son into the world, it was as if he was saying once again, this is what John is saying at the beginning of the gospel, when he sent his son into the world, it's as though he's saying again, let there be light just as he did at the beginning. Because Christ is born to bring new creation. And that's the connection there with John and Genesis. Let there be light is God's first word in the Bible. Now Christ comes as the light to bring about new creation. A creation that has fallen into sin and ruin to darkness and shadow, the shadow of death. Some of you look a little bit like you're in the shadow of death this morning. It's been an early start for you. Up too late last night, were you? Awake thou that sleepest, and Christ shall give thee light. That's the King James. So let's think about the unveiling then of that light for a moment, the unveiling of the light. John is explaining to us that it's the nature of God to reveal himself, to make himself known. Christ is the word or speech of God for John, and he's also the light of God. And both those words, light and word, speak to us of revelation, of illumination, of communication, Remember that the Scriptures tell us that creation was followed by our fall into the darkness of sin, the loss of communion, the loss of communication with God, the communion for which, which for our hearts is like light and food to our natural life. You know how important light and food are in our lives? Well... This is what communion with God is like for us. Since communion with God is life and light to our total being, John tells us that in Christ, in him is life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said, I am both the light of the world and I am the bread of life. Can't live without me. You can't know life without me. That's what he's saying. Because he's the source of life and light. If people turn away from God in sin and rebellion and they reject this self revelation in the Son, they turn away from light and life itself. The psalmist says, With you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. In the course over the last 10 years, when I've spoken on John's Gospel, I've frequently gone back to a wonderful little commentary by Leslie Newbigin on John's Gospel. And he says this, The presupposition of all of this is that in fact Jesus is the true light and therefore the light which shines on every human being. There is no other light. There are not different varieties of light. There is only one light Namely, that which enables us to see things as they really are. And things, are really, and things really are as they are shown to be in the light of Jesus, because he is the word through whom they all came to be. It follows that all men, whether they believe or not, live under the light just as they live by the creative word of of God. The only question is, do you come out into the light or do you scurry for a dark corner? Do you come out into the light or scurry away into a dark corner? It's this season of Christmas where we remember the true light became flesh to reveal Himself. It's a revelation of God so that communion, communication could be reestablished. It's a wonderful thing that we have not been left to speculate about the character and nature of God. You don't have to be a philosopher to be a Christian. You don't have to be able to understand rigorous, abstract arguments. You're not left simply with nature to speculate about what God is like. God's character, his love, his justice, his righteousness, his desire for fellowship, for relationship with us is made known in Jesus Christ. That's what God is unveiling, the unveiling of the light. What about the absence of light though? Because John talks about that too. John says the light shines in the darkness. So kids, let me especially speak to you for a moment. What is darkness? Have you ever thought about that? It's a bit scary, isn't it? I mean, adults uh, pretend they're not scared of the dark. But we're still a little bit scared of the dark. Now, you're just a lot scared of the dark at the moment. Well, darkness is just the absence of light. You know, that's why you say, you know, Mom, dad, can you leave the light on? Or can you leave my door open a bit? Don't shut the door. Because darkness is the absence of the light. There's a continual conflict you see in the Bible. I'll give you a really big word, it's an important word an antithesis. It's an opposition in the Bible especially in John's gospel, between darkness and light. It's there all the way through. They're metaphors, really. Right? They're, they're a way of describing the condition of a person's heart. It's a, it's, a, it's, a pictor, it's a pictorial way of describing the condition of our hearts, our condition before God. Jesus actually says that the ground for people's condemnation is when they love darkness rather than light. We should really be afraid of the dark spiritually, not we shouldn't love it. But Jesus says in John 3:19 that some people love darkness rather than light. So to reject the Lord Jesus for John is to walk in darkness. It's difficult to walk in darkness. It's easy to trip over. It's easy to fall over, to bang into things, to injure yourself. If we do not walk in the light, the darkness, John says, will overtake us. It overcomes us. But the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So John is saying, but Christ the light shines into our darkness and when he does, it's going to be victorious in our lives and in history. The darkness thus symbolizes all the realm of sin, all the realm of rebellion, all satanic activity, all spiritual hostility to God. And so the Scriptures speak of the powers of darkness, the powers of darkness. This rebellion and disobedience leads to a spiritual blindness and therefore to doubt, to error, to alienation from God, to broken relationships with other people, even to an alienation from our own selves. It's affected every aspect of people's being. It even affects people's thinking. The darkness affects people's thinking. Their ability to think rightly about things. You know, I was in a, stumbled into a store the other day. And uh, I heard a man, there. actually the owner of the store, who had some very aggressive signage on his door about not getting served if you didn't have a mask on. And he said very loudly, there was only me and Isaac in the store, do you know that more people have died of COVID than in the Second World War? I won't tell you what I said. I said something I can't tell you. Do you know how many people died in World War II as a result of World War II? Somewhere between 75 and 85 million people, is the most devastating conflict in all human history. That's darkness, you see. It affects people's thinking. When we walk away from the light of Christ, we actually we start to not to be able to see anything particularly clearly, it darkens our understanding. The light shines, though, in the darkness. It's affected our thinking to such a degree that Scripture says it blinds the minds of the unbelieving and it establishes strongholds. The Bible talks about false knowledge, speculations which set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Those who walk in the light live in terms of the truth of God's word. And that's where the light is found. The light is found in the Word of God. There are three senses in which the Bible speaks about the Word of God, as, which is also the light of God. First of all, there's the creation Word of God. It's what John talks about. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. There's the creation Word. And then John goes on to speak about the incarnate word. So he says the word became flesh. So there's the creation word, there's the incarnate word, and then later John says, these things were written that you might believe and that believing you might have life in his name. So there is the inscripturated word of God. And that is the light, that is the light to our life. It's the light to our path. So the light is also an illuminating light. It's a revealing light. It's an illuminating light. It's like floodlights that come on. Sometimes, although we don't like the darkness, the light can be difficult too. You know, when you've been in the dark all night, and then you go into the bathroom in the morning, you flick the light on. Unless you've got a dimmer in there, it's kind of like, You know how somebody turns the light on too quickly, or or your spouse, worst of all, flicks the light on. Turn the light off! Too much light comes in, and you know you're kind of trying to enjoy some rest, some peace. Or what if you've got a headache? The light, though, is also like floodlights. And it gives us an opportunity to examine, when we think about this season, what is already at work in our hearts? What's already at work in our thinking? Because it's already being expressed in what you desire to do in and with your life. When the light comes on, it's like floodlights on our lives. You know, John... The Apostle John challenges our thinking, he encourages our hearts also by reminding us that the source of truth and light for this world doesn't reside in creation itself, doesn't reside in the cosmos, rather our lives in this world have meaning only in relation to their origin in the incarnate Son of God. There's no meaning anywhere else. Christ is the source of definition. And the incarnation of the Lord Jesus is the central miracle of Scripture that that sheds light on all of this. He's brought, the Scripture says, life and immortality to light. It's his incarnation which does that. If Christ had never been born and shed this light into our lives, life and immortality would not have been brought to light. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle, the Christian assertion being that what is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again, bringing nature up with him. So, it's a sobering reminder that our own desires, our own wishes are not the center of history, they're not the fulcrum on which all meaning turns. Sometimes we like to make our lives or think of our lives in that way, as though we're the center of meaning. As though if we're having a rough time or or we don't see things that way, then that must be so. But you're not the fulcrum of meaning in the world. You're a creature. Of course, illness and people's fear of illness, which is all around us, suddenly reminds people that they're creatures. They're utterly dependent. Every moment of every day we are totally dependent upon God. I always take comfort in the fact that Scripture says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So this grand miraculous story of God's incursion into history in, in His Son as the source and meaning of all things is that, He might restore us to fellowship with the light, this illuminating light. But that leads us also to recognize that this illuminating light is a searchlight. A searchlight. Usually a searchlight, especially in the movies, is something you're trying to avoid. You know, it's like Escape from Alcatraz, you know. Searchlight comes on, can Clint Eastwood get away? Of course he will, of course he will. It's Clint. This is what St. Augustine wrote in one of his Advent sermons. He came in the flesh with the intention of curing human blindness so that once we were healed, we might be enlightened in the Lord. You know, Pastor David in the prayers this morning talked about a consciousness that we have of the great need in our nation for the curing of our spiritual blindness. There's a real spiritual blindness in our society today, and it's actually a painful thing reflecting on how radically alien the gospel has become and how quickly alien the gospel has become in our society. The notion that the church of Jesus Christ could be dismissed as a non-essential service. That the worship of both Easter and Christmas could be set aside as though it really means nothing at all. How much our nation has changed in recent decades. Some of you who are older will be more acutely aware of that than others. In fact, the young people here really have no idea of how much this nation has changed over the last 50 years. No real idea at all. We've self-consciously turned from the light of Jesus Christ. There are laws right now being considered by our federal government. Bill C-6 is one, which is looking to criminalize teaching about the light of God, the searchlight of God in terms of our human identity and sexuality. Wants to send pastors to prison, even parents to prison, for up to five years. If the searchlight is shone on human identity and human sexuality. Bill C-7 wants to expand made medical assistance in dying, just a euphemism for killing people. People who are depressed, transient depression. Don't worry, let's just switch them off. As such, we're reminded in this season of the office to which we are called as Christians in the incarnate Word, who is the light. We're prophets and priests in the Lord. We're bearers then of this healing light of the gospel that Augustine was talking about. We're all too aware it's no easy task to bear an office in a time of cultural apostasy with a message because the message of the prophets is always one that's calling people back to the light. But if people love darkness, you're not going to win any popularity contest calling people into the light. In every era, God's light bearers discover they are confronted with practical atheism. Even if it's not theoretical atheism, a practical atheism of a fallen humanity. That practical religion surrounds us and asserts very clearly its belief in human autonomy that's independence, to be a law to oneself, and calls all people to believe in their own freedom, to dare to be themselves. That's what matters to our culture today. Dare to be yourself. A faith in the freedom of man, that is the autonomy of a man from God. That's slavery, by the way, not freedom. To be The idea of being free from God is slavery to sin and death. That's all it means. This false freedom summons people to defy any moral law and truth that transcends their own will and desires. It's the religion of self-service, self-definition, of self-indulgence. And in this popular faith, if there is any God, that God has nothing to do with ruling and governing the world. People are very happy to believe in a vague, benevolent spirit coursing through the cosmos, just not a God, a personal God, who gives law, who holds us morally accountable. Not a God that maintains his law and shapes the course of history in terms of his covenantal judgments. That's not acceptable. The own, in this view, the man himself is the only boundary maker in life. God doesn't see or hear. there is no judgment upon sin, as the prophet Zephaniah says in Zephaniah 1:12, of the people of Israel saying, "The Lord does no good, He does no evil. Don't worry." And so on all sides, it seems people shrug shrug their shoulders and say, carry on as normal, or the new normal anyway. Carry on. God doesn't do any good or evil. And into all of this, we are light bearers. For in Christ, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Not only does Jesus claim to be the light of the world, he now says that in Christ, you are the light of the world. You're a light bearer now. And he said, if the world hated you, hated me, it's going to hate you as well. Don't expect to win any popularity contests as a Christian. Don't expect that, well, if I just say it this way, if I'm super sensitive, if I just do it one-on-one, if I just make sure that it's... Uh, you know, under the radar, if I just let them really get to know me first, how many years do they need to get to know you before they recognize the lights in you? Now, let's make sure that the offense that we cause is only the offense of the gospel, not your ignorance or stupidity or rudeness. Okay? I'm not saying be ignorant. Be rude. But you know what? There are a few times that the things that Jesus said look pretty rude to me. At least they would be rude by certain standards of politeness that we think are Canadian. I mean, when the Syrophoenician woman Says, Lord, come and heal my daughter. And Jesus says, Well, why should I take the children's bread and give it to the dogs? Well, let's not digress onto an exposition of that text. The point I'm making is that there are times when Jesus is so direct with people that it might come across as rudeness. There is a time to be direct. We're light bearers, and it's difficult to be a light bearer. It's hard being a light bearer. Life is to be exposed by the light in its good or evil root. Zephaniah says that God searches the city with a bright light. You know, this Christmas, God, make no mistake, Jesus Christ is searching the city with a bright light. This is what the birth of the Lord Jesus heralded, and John the Baptist bore witness to that light, he says. This is what John tells us. And the light to which he bears witness is one of both grace, yes, at Christmas time. The grace of God has appeared to us, grace and truth, but also of judgment. It's a light also of judgment in the gospel. It's a reminder to us again, the incarnation, that God, who may have appeared to men absent or unconcerned with their practical atheism, is coming into action in a decisive way in history. He comes to search out the hearts of men with his light to expose that which is hidden. That's an uncomfortable thing. Light exposes, and it's not always comfortable to be exposed by the light. It breaks through the smokescreen of our pretended autonomy that we've laid on the world. The Lord's appearing unveils that God is actually waging an offensive battle against sin, against Satan, against death, And against all the works of darkness. That's what the coming of the light signals and signifies. It's an offensive battle, it's a searchlight. And so the light of the word which we bear is not a variable cultural product. Oh, well, you know, it's the 21st century Christmas. 21st century Christmas surely is different from a 10th century Christmas. Or a reformational Christmas? Isn't a 21st century Christmas a sort of more of a softer LED light? More of a sort of twinkly little thing? More of a decorative light than a searchlight into history? Isn't this light one that we can put some filters on, adapt it a little bit? a filtered light maybe filter out the more offensive stuff that may be too exposing to our modern culture well if you think that it's another gospel it's not the gospel we read here we've been saying the apostles creed for nearly 2000 years it hasn't changed any It's not a variable cultural product, the gospel. It's an invariant and continual cultural criticism. It's what the Bible calls prophecy. A searching light that exposes the darkness and calls people to repentance into the light of life and truth. And we actually have the privilege And it is a privilege, though it is a burden. We have the privilege of continuing a long, long line of faithful office bearers, bearing witness to the light, to walk in the light, to shine the light of truth to a people that so desperately need the healing of their blindness. Because we don't do people any favors when we disguise the light or filter the light. If the light is a healing light, that's what the sun does, doesn't it? You know, we as Canadians know that better than anyone, don't we? When the winter starts to break and suddenly, you start feeling the warmth of the sun. You don't just see the light, you feel its warmth all of a sudden. And suddenly your body starts supping in the vitamin D. It's a healing light. The sun is a healing light. Christ is also a healing light. And if we recognize the light of Christ as a healing light, why would we want to shelter people from it? When they're anemic lives, they're pasty faces. It's like you Spanish folk don't know, don't know anything about that, really. But to have a pasty white complexion right, that needs the sun. It's a, it's a funny thing that, to me, thinking about cultures around the world, how when you're in a culture where people have a darker skin, the kind of ideal in a place like Pakistan where mum and dad were was that you, have a, you put white powder on and you make your skin look a bit paler. And then you come here and everybody's trying to get to Costa Rica to get a tan. That it's more beautiful to have ta- a tan skin, a bit like mine really. It's all genetic. It's all in the genes. Nothing, I don't sit on a sunbed. But you see, the light is a healing light. It's a restorative light. So why would you want to keep people away from a healing and restorative light? Why would we want to filter that? I can see you're almost done with me. I can hear it in the shuffling. And so let me wrap this up. The joy of unveiling this light by word and deed for all who want to see it is, is that it brings healing. We don't invent a new light, friends. We're not inventing anything. We're not developing anything. There's no novelty here. This, every Christmas is a reminder It's not a novel light. We don't invent a new light. We, like John, we bear witness to the one who has come to us, humble and lying in a manger, who brings this searchlight with him. So let's finish with the power of the light. The infant Jesus was brought into the temple, and the priest Simeon took him in his arms, and he knew he was looking at the true revelation of light and salvation. This is what he said. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, he's saying, I can die now. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The confirmation of this reality, you'll remember, was shining with power and glory in the heavens. At the time of the first Christmas, there was a light burning brightly in the heavens. Probably, I think, a rare conjunction of Jupiter and Regulus. That's the king star and the king planet. Regulus, king, reggae. Probably the brightest star in history to that time. It appeared to stop in the heavens over Bethlehem, when the word became flesh. And that, by the way, is the reason we put stars on the Christmas tree. And if your neighborhood is anything like mine right now, there's light on all of the houses. I wonder whether they really know what it signifies. It's interesting, the the members of a cult who live next door do know what it signifies and they don't put anything on their house. They're self conscious about it. But lots of the other houses are covered in lights. You need power for the light. I was sorting out some of the lights on the house uh, yesterday, and I was buying new bulbs for all the path lights, and then I was trying to get lights up into a tree. So I was kind of there, you know, with this set of Canadian tire lights doing this. I've got no ladder, so you wonder what the neighbors are thinking as they're, what is he doing? Idiot. I was stood on this sort of very never mind. I was just a two-step ladder. I was thinking, "Is this going to go over as I try and do this?" But you need power for the light. And think about the power of light for a moment as a phenomenon. We don't really understand light. Is it wave? Is it particle? Behaves like both. Up here in the frozen north, we're in the darkest part of the year. We sometimes feel our lack of light badly. We go to work in the morning, it's still dark. Come home from work, it's dark already. For those of us who have a job staring at a computer screen or huddled in an office, we don't feel like we don't see the sun sometimes. Seasonal gloom is actually a serious problem for people. It's called seasonal affective disorder. And we don't get enough sun. We need the power of the light. Think about it very quickly. Biologically, all living things, almost all living things, ultimately depend on plants, which grow by drawing their energy from the the sun. Shroud the earth in darkness. There wouldn't be much left, but some bacteria. Bacteria. psychologically we need this light even if we haven't been diagnosed with a seasonal affective disorder we often find ourselves feeling down in December or January you listen to people they talk about in their language feeling low or feeling a bit gloomy feeling like a shadow has fallen on them we need the light light is also essential for our seeing Without light in the physical world, we've all wandered around the house at times after a Toronto power cut, banging into things, getting bruises, colliding with stuff. Symbolically, the language of light is used as well when we think about resolving difficult issues. Light has been shed on something. We've had illuminated a problem. We've had a bright idea. Imagine yourself in the situation of standing in a room full of pictures and art objects. You can't see them. But when the light is thrown on, suddenly all the beauty that's around you is visible. So think of all the things light actually does for us. And that's the metaphor that Scripture chooses and uses to think about the presence of Christ in our lives. It's in the same way that light, by flooding our path, enables us to avoid danger. You know, the Ezra Institute, we're on the edge of the escarpment. There's a pathway that runs along the edge of the escarpment out to the fire pit where the young people often gather. We're having to think about how to illuminate that area because if you don't have light on your path, it can be dangerous too. So the light helps us avoid danger as well. In the same way, Christ claims to illuminate our lives, helps us to discern right and wrong, appreciate truth and beauty, avoid moral and spiritual danger. All of these ways light functions in the natural world. It functions for us spiritually. Light is also a symbol of freedom. All too often, darkness brings with it something enslaving or oppressive, or at least that's the impression we get. We think about darkness as like a a cloud. We speak of light at the end of a tunnel when we emerge from a difficult or oppressive circumstance. Darkness actually can symbolize the very worst aspects of life, imprisonment, fear, despair. So light is also a liberator, the power of the light sets us free. And so John tells us Christ is the light that leads to life, to freedom. That is the power of the light that broke into history, and it frames the entire message of the Bible. The Bible begins telling us that God created the light and it ends with the promise of a new creation in Revelation 22, 5, where there will be no more night. No more oppressive darkness. And so the Apostle John says of Christ, in him was life and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here is a power, says John, that the darkness cannot overcome. Here is a power that the darkness cannot overcome. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall never walk in darkness, but shall have the light that leads to life. Let's come to the Lord's table now.
0: This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit EzraInstitute.ca.